0: Alright, get those Bibles out, Romans chapter 4, picking up in verse 16, Uh, looking at uh, 16 through 25 today, reading this passage remind me of the 1995 America crime drama film, Dead Man Walking, starring Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn. some $83 million made on this movie off of an $11 million budget. Uh, just won all kinds of awards, uh, but for me, I might have seen part of it once, and I just like the title, right? Dead Man Walking, or the phrase that the officer would keep saying in The Green Mile, Dead Man Walking as he walked John Coffey into Death Row. Dead Man Walking, like... Sean Penn and Dead Man Walking and John Coffey on The Green Mile. Abraham, Father Abraham, was a sort of a dead man walking. He was a guy, we learned last week, that had to do three things. He had to, number one, face the facts. Number two, he had to look to God. And number three, he had to look to the fulfillment of of the promise. The promise that we looked at in depth last week, we'll just look at briefly here today. Genesis 12, 2, where God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Part of our prayer for Israel today is remembering that promise to Abraham that Just blessing and praying for the peace of Jerusalem, praying for Israel today. In Genesis chapter 18, we didn't cover this one of the promise uh, last week. This is a little bit of a different one where uh, we believe that Jesus appeared in the Old Testament in what's called a Christophany, um, where he shows up with two other angels It says, the Lord appeared to Abram by the terebinth tree of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself to the ground. And if you jump down to verse nine of Genesis 18, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abram and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? uh, Sorry, I jumped over that. Like I said, i have my glasses on today. Uh, and, and said, uh, the Lord said to Abraham in verse 13, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, uh, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And so kind of this funny slash awkward moment um, there where uh, you know the angel of the Lord, possibly Jesus, an Old Testament appearance of him, uh, telling them, uh, yeah, you're gonna have a child. Remember the promise from chapter 12, all these different promises that you're gonna have children. Remember, that's gonna happen. It's gonna happen with uh, a, you know, basically a year from now. I'm gonna come back. You're gonna have that baby. And Sarah kind of giggles in herself. He's like, why are you laughing? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I didn't laugh. No, but you did laugh. And then there's this like, ha, 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 ha. you did. I mean, you did. Okay, I kind of did. You know, um, you got you to gotta look for the comedy in the Bible. It's there, right? Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter called the uh, that's been titled by many uh, pastors or teachers, the Hall of Faith. You've heard of the Hall of Fame? This is the Hall of Faith. It goes through the Old Testament and so many of the patriarchs and, and how they just trusted in the Lord when things seemed so impossible. Uh, they believed upon the Lord. And Hebrews starts out that chapter by saying that faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So when the Lord told Abraham that he was going to have a child, even though he was well advanced in years, naturally there was no chance that he was going to have a child. His wife was also old. Like, this is an impossibility. And yet, our memory verse from last week, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God that, okay, then it's going to happen. And Hebrews tells us that faith is substance. It's the substance of things that's hoped for. And where there's no evidence that they would ever have a child, hey, the Lord says it and I believe it. And so there's evidence for the things not seen. I think Sandy Adams once said that uh, faith is kind of like When you're trying to open the ketchup bottle and you can't get it open, so you grab that rag on the counter and, you know, get a little extra pry on it. That's faith, you know, it kind of gives you that substance. Now, a few verses later in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you're out there today and you're just trying to please God with all of your labor and all of your works and all of your toil and that that will help you measure up to God so that he would receive you, um, then you're barking up the wrong tree because that doesn't please the Lord. And one of the reasons is it's it's impossible to be just by your works. We've been studying that in Romans, but rather it's by trusting in the Lord that uh, Pleasure comes to the Lord. You've got to believe that he is. And you've got to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then the last Hebrews 11 passage until later today. Uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13. We just went through the whole passage. Um, uh, or uh, so many of the patriarch stories. By verse 13 it says, all these died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And so, for instance, the land that Abraham was promised, he didn't ever end up really seeing that land, but he saw it from afar off, and he was a dweller in tents for the rest of his life. And so many of the things that the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith, uh, were promised, they wouldn't see until, they're not going to see it until after the Lord comes. Uh, Because all of those promises really ultimately pointed to the Messiah coming and setting his kingdom up on the earth. And so all of this to say, Abraham was given a promise that he would have a child in his old age. It seemed absolutely impossible, both to he and his wife. He's a dead man walking. But you know what, the whole story from the very beginning is that, man, The Lord finds pleasure in those that just rest in him and trust in him. And uh, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, that uh, sort of leads us into where we left off the last two weeks. Chris finished verse 16, and then I accidentally also finished in verse 16. And so we're picking up in verse 16 because it'll help us bust into our good line of run-on sentences here. Therefore, it is of faith. That it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. And I wanted to start in verse 17 today, but it starts out in the middle of a sentence with a parenthesis. So that would be a bad place. Here, but here we go. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him, whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And so verses 17 through 20 show us the first thing that Abraham had to do was face the facts, face the facts. It starts out by saying uh, really this wonderful verse, uh, God gives life to the dead, halfway through 17 there. It seemed physically And physiologically impossible. For Abraham and Sarah to have a baby would be God giving life to the dead, so to speak. The ability for these two old folks, geriatrics, to bring life into the world was impossible. Their biological clock had tick-tocked to the ends. John eleven twenty five tells us that it is what the Lord does, giving life to the dead. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Or Romans eight eleven says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's actually the very thing that God loves to do give life to the dead. And only he can do that. That's one thing that separates him from any other false god out there in the world is that he has the ability to bring life to the dead. This is some power. The law of biogenesis says only living things can give life. Death certainly can't get life, but only God has ability to Give life to the dead. For Abraham, he might have said, I'm dead meat, or I'm dead in the water in this situation. I have no ability in the light of my circumstances, but God does. And maybe that's you, as I was praying over you guys today, just every one of us, no doubt. You know, there's the old saying that you're either coming out of a trial, or you're in the middle of a trial, or you're going into a trial. Like one way or another, the trials, they just never stop on this side of eternity. And you have no ability in the light of your uh, situation, but the Lord has the ability. And there's a, a book that a friend recommended to me once when I was struggling. And it, and it says, Big Problem, Small God was the title of it. And, uh, and I think I remember the book had a magnifying glass over big problem. And then small God was, you know, down there. Uh, And it's like so often in our trials or in our struggles or in the things that we're facing, we just magnify our problems so much that it just makes our God seem so tiny and puty and impotent. Charles Hodge says, to originate life is the prerogative of God. It requires almighty power and is therefore in scripture specified as one of God's peculiar works. How big it was of the Lord to be able to bring life to the dead. Not only does he bring life to the dead, but he does this verse that stuck with us all, all week. We even prayed it out in the prayer meeting last night. He calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Calls those things that do not exist as though they did. Um, lately my eight year old son, he's going to be nine this month, Titus. He's been, um, Asking questions as we're driving in the car and he's just just kinda of making up something just that could never happen, you know, like what would happen if like it was all reversed and the ocean and all the water was in the sky and all the you know, or whatever you're like and you're like, Okay, son, that's just never gonna happen. You just kinda of like shut it down, like so, I don't have time for this. It could never happen, son. But what if it did? And you're like, there's just no way. Like gravity, it's like, sun, it's like let's move. And it hit like three times. But what if, you know, and and then usually that morphs into, um, could we go to Dairy Queen? <laughs> it's like, no, son, you know, we ate out yesterday. We don't need to go out every day of the week. You know, and we got ice cream at home. We're not going to Dairy Queen. So hear me out. What if we did? <laughs> you know? And so similarly... You know, hey, you're going to have a baby. There's no way. Sarah's laughing. (laughs) Oh, am I supposed to have pleasure in my old age? My Lord is old. I'm Lord. Shriveled up like a raisin a while ago. Like, there's no way. And it's not going to happen. And Jesus is like, oh, but what if you did? Be pretty awesome, huh? Okay. Or you will. I'm going to come back a year from now. You're going to have that little bouncing baby boy in your arms. And so God calls things which do not exist as though they did. It's wishful thinking, but with an eye that it will actually happen. A wife went to the police station to report that her husband was missing, and her next-door neighbor went with her for moral support. The policeman asked for a description of her husband. She said he's 35 years old, six foot four. Has dark eyes, dark wavy hair, an athletic build, weighs 185 pounds, is soft spoken, and is good to the children. And the next door neighbor protested and said, Your husband's five foot four, chubby, bald, has a big mouth, and is mean to your children. And the wife replied, Yes, but who wants him back? <laughs> Wishful thinking. But with an eye that it'll actually happen. Hosea 1.10 says this, says that uh, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. And that's the gospel. And especially, man, in this room, there's a whole bunch of non-Jews here. We would be the you are not my people. But the gospel changes that to where you are you are children, you're sons of the living God. These works, John Stott says, these works of God demonstrate his ability to count things that are not, such as our righteousness, as if they were as in counting us righteous. When the Lord would look at you and say, hey, guess what? Good news. I'm going to look at you clothed in white, pure and spotless justice if you've never sinned. And you would say, you can't, because I've done this, that, and ever since my youth, I've just been lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, deceiving, coveting, adulterating, lusting, um just all kinds of things uh we were driving by a little uh, a man on the road today tatum was sitting in the passenger seat across this guy crossed the road um going to tasty treat and she goes that guy's smoking i'm like whoa tatum control your lusts you know she's like no really he was smoking um, i'm like oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah it was seven year olds you gotta watch him right um Just all of our lust that we've not... I'm sick, I'm twisted, I've been lustful, smoking, you know, and all... And there's no way that I could be declared sinless and pure and spotless and righteous and able to come into the presence of a whole... But what if you could? Okay? Because the Lord counts something that could never happen, such as you being innocent, as something that's already happened because of the blood of Jesus on the cross... You are innocent through faith. He sees you as innocent. Chuck Smith said, I'm greatly comforted when God speaks about me as righteous, justified, glorified, holy, pure, and saintly. God can talk about such things before they exist because he knows they will exist. Look at verse 18 who contrary to hope in hope, believed So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. It was contrary to any hope that he could have, that he would have a child in his old age. Sarah felt that way, he felt that way. It was contrary to hope, as it says, but in hope he still believed. I looked at a couple different translations of this just to try to to get some help on it, and I have it for you on the screen. The LEB says, who against hope believed in hope. There was no earthly hope that they could conceive and bear a child, and yet he believed in the hope from above. The ESV says, in hope, he believed against hope. The CSB says, he believed hoping against hope. Or the New Living Translation, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Believing that he would become the father of many nations. Everything in the natural pointed to Sarah not being able to conceive a son to fulfill the promise. And yet the power and the faithfulness of the one who made the promise was greater than the deadness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham believed in that power and the Lord did it. I think we're going to come back to it in one of the quotes because I think it came from Stott, but it resonated with me all week last week as I was studying and writing out my notes. And so I want to say this again. Everything pointed to Sarah not being able to conceive and yet two things were what Abraham was able to, to hope in. First thing was the power of the one who made the promise. The power of the one who made the promise bolstered Abraham's faith. The faithfulness, secondly, of the one who made the promise bolstered Abraham's faith. So the power and the faithfulness of the one who made the promise, those two things were greater than the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so Abraham believed in that power, and the Lord did it. Trapp wrote this, and Trapp was from the 1600s. He was a Puritan preacher. He's very well liked and well known for his Short, pithy statements in all of his sermons. And he said this, and try to follow it, because I think it's really good. Sense corrects imagination. Reason corrects sense. But faith corrects both. It will not be, saith sense. It cannot be, saith reason. But both can and will be, saith faith, for I have a promise for it. Hope you got that. Douglas Moo said, when Paul says Abraham didn't doubt because of unbelief, he means not that Abraham never had momentary hesitation, but that he avoided a deep-seated and permanent attitude of distrust and inconsistency in relationship to God and his promises. And maybe you're going, this is a great lesson for us because whatever it is that you're going through or a promise that you're clinging to doesn't mean that you've never thought it couldn't happen. I mean, everything's just aligning and working out in a way that this is just an absolute impossibility. The statistics say it could never happen. But you know what? My God is greater than that. You're able to come out of that slump, out of that slough of despair, Pilgrim's Progress would call it. We're going through something right now where we, everything would never work out, would never happen, could never happen. Everything is against us. And you know what, though? God is able. And how about you? Don't get stuck down in that pit. Let the Lord pull you out of that. Because you know what? The power of the one who promised, he's able to do it. The faithfulness of the one who promised, he's always done it. He's always done what he's promised. Trust in that. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so I just love this verse. This is where that Abraham's a dead man walking, you know, phrase Came from this morning because I just, a couple times in the Bible, he just puts it bluntly, right? Uh, Abraham was already dead because he was about 100 years old. I read this last week. I took my grandpa to one of those places where the little fishies come up and nibble the dead skin off of your feet, you know, off of your body. Been to one of those places. And the guy says, It cost me $50, but it was a heck of a lot cheaper than cremation right oh the comedian witty allen sums up for many the inability to cope with the prospects of death it's not that i'm afraid to die he quips i just don't want to be there when it happens abraham was already dead he was as good as dead he was a dead man walking hebrews 11:12 even says this therefore from one man and him as good as dead <laughs> kind of says out of the side of his mouth were born as many as the stars in the sky of multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Listen to what Stott says. But nothingness and death are no problem to God. On the contrary, it's out of nothing that he created the universe and out of death that he raised Jesus. The creation and the resurrection were and remain the two major demonstrations of the power of God. So whatever you're going through right now, think of nothing. I got no hope. I got There's no hope. I got nothing. Perfect. It's a blank canvas for the Lord to work and create and move. Just like he did on the day of creation. Oh, but there's death and there's destruction. And there's just, just a pile of rub. Perfect. Because it was a dead body that he breathed life into Uh, there in the empty tomb on that Easter Sunday. John Calvin says, the mind is never so enlightened that there's no remains of ignorance, nor the heart so established that there's no misgivings. With these evils of our nature, faith maintains a perpetual conflict in which conflict is often sorely shaken and put to great stress, but still it conquers so that believers may be said to be in, and then he writes, I think, in Latin, and I don't know what that means, so I had to look it up, the very weakest of the firmest. And so it's not that we don't have any doubts, it's not that we see the death, it's not that we don't even struggle, but when we come and bring our faith to the living, powerful, faithful God, we become the very weakest of the firmest. The old saying, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. But then one preacher corrected that sermon. I remember listening to him one day. He says, scratch that. Forget the I believe it part. God believes it, that, or said, God said it, that settles it. No matter what, it's gonna happen because of the Lord. And so I might as well just go ahead and come along for the ride and believe in that. Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17, remember the hall of faith? We come back to that again. By faith, when he was tested Abraham offered up Isaac and he would receive the promise offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And so again, Abraham is used in the hall of faith in a separate paragraph from before where now look at how he had faith when after he got that one and only son that was a total miracle baby. Now the Lord asked him to offer him up as a sacrifice. And so he just didn't even hesitate. And he went to Mount Moriah and he began to offer up his son, concluding that my God is so powerful and faithful, I'm going to do whatever he asks me to do. And if he's asking me to sacrifice my one and only son whom I love to him, I will do it. And my conclusion is that even if I kill him, God made a promise to me that there will be many nations that come to my lo- from my loins. And so he'll just raise him up if I kill him. Do you get how deep the faith is that he had in the Lord? And then the writer of Hebrews says, and actually the Lord did raise him up. In a figurative sense, because Isaac was as good as dead. He had packed the wood up the hill. The altar was made. The sun was laid and tied up among the, the sticks. And, and the, uh, the knife was coming down into, it was just about there before the angel said, whoa, 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 okay. I just wanted to see if you'd do it. And in that, Isaac was figuratively brought back to life because he also was as good as dead. Look at verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He didn't wobble or doubt or waver. The ESV says no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. The Young's literal translation speaks of staggering. He didn't stagger at the promise of God. Stott says as he contemplated his own uh, seen senility and Sarah's barrenness, he neither turned a blind eye to these problems nor underestimated them, but he reminded himself of God's power and faithfulness. Faith always looks at the problems in light of the promises. So he didn't shut out. No, there's nothing wrong here. People, nothing wrong. I am young and in good shape and ready to bear children. No, he's like, I, don't know how we're going to do this, okay? But God. And that gives God all the glory because you're aware of the difficulty of the situation and the power that's needed to accomplish it. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, some of the greatest saints that the church has ever known have testified to the fact that they've been attacked and assailed by doubts till the end of their lives. But they did not weaken, they did not give in, they mastered their doubts They conquered them. They overcame them. And in this, this was just so on my heart last week, and I was just praying it out at church. Uh, He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. That's what happens when we put our trust in his promises. It gives God glory. Or as Hodge says, that is the strength was manifested to give him glory. To give glory to God is to take him to be what he really is, almighty and faithful. It is to show by our conduct that we give him credit, so to speak, that he will and can do as he says. Verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Fully convinced, completely certain Totally persuaded that what God promised, he was able to perform. Look in Genesis 18, the passage we read about the laughing Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm totally convinced. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Remember, Abraham had faith in the power of the one who made the promise and the faithfulness of the one who made the promise. The New Living Translation of our verse, verse 21, says, he was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. And so verse 22 of our text, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Do you guys remember the memory verse from last week? Did you do it? Did you work on it? Genesis fifteen six, and he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so if you read these two verses together, he was fully convinced, verse 21, that what he'd promised he was able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for Righteousness. Abraham believed God, fully convinced that he was able to perform what he promised. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 23 and 24. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, Abraham, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. When I was just reading this, I just wrote down in my notes, don't you just feel Paul talking to you now? And including you in the us words that are used here and the our words that are used here. He just totally like reaches out 2000 years later into Prineville and like scoops us into the promise that's right here. As he says, also, it's for us, Prineville, that it might be imputed to us who believe in him in such a powerful thing and that he could do the impossible thing, raising up Jesus from the dead. Paul concludes this chapter four by applying the lessons from Abraham's life to us. And he imputes and counts and credits and considered to us the same promise. Look at verse 25, we're wrapping up here. We can have the worship band come back Verse 25, he was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So, why was Jesus delivered up? Because of our trespasses or our offenses. This word delivered up in the verb. Uh, It is used in the gospels of Jesus being handed over by Judas uh, to the priests and Pilate. But the context is that it's evidently referring to the father, the father who did not, excuse me, now you're coming up. The father who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So the death is attributed to the father's initiative because it was the plan of salvation as well as the resurrection, the father's initiative. Charles Hodge says, and this this quote was mentioned in many commentaries I read from Charles Hodge. This verse is a comprehensive statement of the gospel. It is indeed, it's Parallelism is so well honed that some think it was an early Christian phrase or a fragment from a creed. And so let's read it again: Who was delivered up because of our offenses, and was raised because of our justification? I was wondering what our memory verse should be this week, and I think this is going to be it. Pretty easy, right? Genesis fifteen six was an easy one this last week, okay? Here's an easy, just a one-liner. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Closing with a a stot quote. (laughs) Faith is not burying our heads in the sand or screwing ourselves up to believe what we know is not true or even whistling in the dark to keep our spirits up. On the contrary, faith is a reasoning trust. There can be no believing without thinking. On the one hand, we have to think about the problems which face us. Faith is not closing our eyes to them. Abraham faced the fact that he and Sarah were both infertile. But on the other hand, he reflected on the promises of God and on the character of the God who made them, especially that he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being the things that were not. It was wisely considered that now in twenty twenty-three we have the easier task to now look back on the same deliverer who died for our sins and rose again for our justification. And the final verse here that we'll look at is Hebrews eleven thirty-nine. Remember, I've been going to the hall of faith off and on throughout today. This is the last one. Hebrews eleven thirty-nine. Will you guys stand with me? This is at the end of the hall of faith. Imagine if you're walking through a hall of fame and you just see all the, you know, the baseball gloves and the trophies and the original bat that Babe Ruth batted with, and you're just going through. You know, instead we're going through with all these incredible. It's a museum of history of the f- patriarchs. We're going through, and there's the there's the robe coat of many colors, you know, and there's this and there's that. You get all the way to the end of the museum. And Hebrews 11 kind of gives, as you're exiting the hall of faith, there's this encouragement. And all of these have obtained a great testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And it's almost like you're going through a, a door at the end of the hall of faith and it opens up to like a part two that is new testament christianity that all of those fathers looked to the promise who was jesus and now we're in the next room living it in light of that we know who jesus is and what he's done and what he's promised and what he's going to do and what our part is in it and they were not a made they were not made perfect apart from us we have a part to play in all of this as well continuing to trust the promises of god and living for his kingdom and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much here, and I know that it felt like just drinking out of a fire hose this morning. But Lord, we know that at the end of the day, God, you're able to just plant those seeds in us, that the one who promised righteousness, salvation, and to set us apart from our old man and our own ways... To live the Christian life. To know the God of the Christians. That Lord we, we can rest in you who made that promise because you're so powerful. We can rest in you who made that promise because you're so faithful. You're able to do it Lord. You're able to perform it. And so Lord today we trust you afresh that you would perform and do and work righteousness in our lives and innocence and justification and salvation in us so that we could be new creations new creatures born again lord we rest in you for that promise and lord we rest in you as well that you'll get us there till the end and whatever problems and struggles and trials are represented in this room today lord we can rest in you in your promise that you'll never leave us alone, you'll never forsake us, you'll walk with us through the fire. And that promise from Romans 8, Mark prayed it over me last night. Lord, your promise that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. You're working something good in the midst of our trials. Let's close with this song. We invite you guys, if you are just in a place in your life where you just feel like, I'm as good as dead with what I've got going on right now, or my situation's as good as dead, and you just need prayer, uh, we just invite you, hopefully you're sticking around for the Fireside Fellowship time, and uh, you'll just get some coffee and donuts with us, but maybe before you head into that room, you'll just kind of come up here and meet up with some of the elders and we can just pray over you and your situation and that the Lord would just breathe some life and some hope into you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Fun being with you today.